I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. Today we're going to talk about what might be people's least favorite word in the English language. We don't like to talk about it. We don't even like to think about it. And we try every day to wipe it from our vocabulary. I am, of course, talking about the F word, failure. Failure is the monster that follows us around and taunts us whenever we try to accomplish anything. Sometimes we try our hardest and we still fail. It's that very fear of failure that stops us from trying it at all. But whatever the cause, the results of failure can be absolutely crushing. Bouncing back from failure is one of the hardest things that any person can do, but it can be done. And today we're going to talk with some people who understand the sting of falling down, but have found a way to get back up and try again. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. That makes a way. <laughs> Be honest and communicate. Be your authentic self. That's yeah. so critical. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Bouncing Back. Let's introduce our guest, Saul Singleton. Saul had it, had done it. He had won a football scholarship at a prestigious private college. He had the rare blessing of intelligence and athleticism to build a future for himself, either in the NFL or with a college degree. And then he took his eye off the ball and he lost it. His scholarship was gone. Singleton had to take a good, long look at what had happened. After much loss, self-reflection, and self-forgiveness, he bounced back. He earned a new scholarship as a Temple Al mm -hmm. and finally earned his degree. Saul, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Lisa. Also joining us today is Dr. Lois Butcher. She's a professor at kineology here at Temple University. She has spent decades studying how people move from Olympic gymnasts to college athletes to professional musicians. She's an expert of sports psychology and has that keen understanding of pressure to perform, especially when there are hundreds, even thousands of people watching. It's a pleasure having both of you with us today, so thank you. Thank you. So let's start with your story. You had it all, right? You had the, yeah. you had the scholarship and you were ready to play football, right? Yeah. Actually, it was an academic scholarship because um, the school I was at was uh, Wagner College and it was a Division three school and they didn't give scholarships uh, to athletes. So I was pretty proud to just earn a, you know, being the stigma of athletes to uh, earn an um, academic scholarship. Um, but <clears throat> my freshman year, um, I was dealing with a, a, a lot of things. And I, I think the losing the scholarship was like the symptom of the things that was going on in my life. Um, um, I was dealing with some personal issues at home. Um, my uh, mom had um, come down with severe mental illness and uh, it was impacting, you know, me as a as a person because she was like the the brick of our yeah she was the right. brick of our family and she she did everything she did everything for me and I was the baby of the family so you know we were really close and um, uh, I was in a bad relationship with a, a young lady that you know wasn't going too well um, and I think that started to impact me uh, negatively also and and I started. Um, partying a lot because the school was right next to uh, Manhattan and it was only like a ferry away so I, I was always in Manhattan I would miss classes and I guess that was my the way I, I dealt with my issues 
um, what they call self-medicating because I, I didn't drink over a smoke. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things. So um, being in clubs and stuff like that was the way so I could get So you weren't drinking away. when you were at the clubs? You were just No, I was just dancing there. and have, you know, getting numbers from young ladies. And <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was my drug. I, was, yeah. I would get high off that. Um, and I, I would miss classes and just come back to practice. And uh, I remember my coach calling me in the office, and he's like, you know, we want to tell me what's going on. And I was like, uh, he was like, you, got, you lost your scholarship because your GPA fell to, uh, under 2.75. You have to maintain a certain GPA. So at that point, I, I just felt like the whole world just came in because that was my the only thing that I had going on that was positive. Right. And... Um, it was it was devastating. It was, you know, I had to go home and tell everyone that you know I lost my scholarship, and you know I knew there was people depending on me and counting on me and and, and looking up to me. I know I was a role model, and um, I just I just you know for, especially for my family because I was the first male in my family to, to go, go to, college. to college. So it was it was it was really hard, um, um, and I basically just. For a while, I was really depressed. Um, uh, I started having thoughts of suicide, and it so, was. It sounds like you're to me. You're better experienced it, but it sounds to me like the the drop, the not getting your losing your scholarship was just a symptom. Yes. Of everything yeah. else that was going on in mm -hmm. your life. Right. A lot of what you're describing is. Um, escapism mm -hmm. more than anything else you were escaping what was wrong by going you know clubbing and all that and right. one of the pieces um, that I'm I'm kind of curious about you you mentioned how mom was the rock for so long right. and I'm guessing I could correct me here yeah. but I'm guessing that you were taught not to be a victim right which is why you were depressed right. um, victim headsets are very different that's when you know people kind of thrive on that mm -hmm. we've all got that friend where nothing ever goes right and they really don't want it to mm -hmm. is that what you would describe as a victim headset I just don't want to assume that everybody knows well you know there 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 it shows up in different ways but we've all got that one friend that you know tortures us <laughs> where they're no. constantly calling you and saying you know this is awful this is wrong and you keep getting yes but you know, they want to know what to do, and you tell them what you think, and they go, well, yes, but, because they really don't want to change it. And um, I don't think that's what was going on for you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you did want to change it. Right. It was, it was a lot of pressure um, for me. I mean, uh, it was a lot of pressure maintaining mm -hmm. that air of, because my family, we never talked about stuff, and um, although there was a lot of things going on, when we were taught. I'm sorry, when you say mm -hmm. your family never talked about stuff, never talked about emotions, never talked about pressure, is that what you right. mean? Right, never about talked that? about, you know, things that go on, mm -hmm. like trauma you go through, or, you know, you're taught to just keep moving. And, um, you know, you, you keep those things to yourself. That's family, private business. You don't, we don't talk about that. And there was a lot of dynamics going on between my mother and my father, my sisters, myself, um, which we just didn't talk about. So when that happened, mm -hmm. that one thing that I was counting on to be my rock fell out from under me. It was like, okay, what do I have? 
I really hadn't, I had no, I didn't have a lot of friends I could turn to and say, hey, this is going on, because I didn't talk about that stuff with them. You know, I didn't talk about, you know, being molested as a child and uh, just family dysfunction. My, my dad was alcoholic. You know, my mom had these mental issues and, you know, we just, we went about life. And, uh, you know, we lived in the suburbs in Teaneck and we went to a really, uh, you know, we went to a really good high school and you was taught, okay, you, you perform, you do what you're supposed to do, that stuff, you know, you just keep it to the side and I guess, um, when that happened, everything started to overwhelm me because I really didn't have anything to turn to. Right. And uh, I just started to have, I, I, I started when I had those thoughts about not being here anymore. I had to like start to rethink some things and uh, go over, you know, the things that was happening to me and, and why it was happening. And um, I just took an inventory and, and I, I, I realized that I had to fix those things. Because even if I left that school and went somewhere else. Yeah. You're um, so fortunate, though, because. <laughs> a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't, <laughs> right? Right. And one of the things that I'm hearing is that somewhere, mm -hmm. somebody gave you the tools to recognize that. Yeah. I had a, a lot of buffers. I had mentors. Um, my sister, who actually had transferred from Montclair to Temple, she played basketball here in track. Um, I remember her calling me and saying, you know, um, we have a new coach here and they're looking for players and I knew you, I know you need to you know we won't be able to afford that school but you can walk on mm -hmm. <clears throat> show the coach the film and try to earn a scholarship and the school was significantly cheaper than the school I was at so um, I, I, I knew I needed to change something so I mean even though I didn't start to change all of those other things that was going on in my life I was like well maybe if I go to a new place I have a familiar face, you know, we were really close, we we're like 11 months apart, mm -hmm. Irish babies they call them, <laughs> Irish <laughs> twins, and uh, my mom always had us really close together, so um, that was my rock at that time, so when I transferred, I just mortgaged everything, just sold everything, credit cards maxed, and because so I knew you I weren't, had to, So you weren't thinking, oh my God, suppose I blow this opportunity. You were just like, this no, is. I just refocused. Yeah. I, I took, I was like, okay, well, let me start there. And I remember um, I was in Sweden playing football. I mean, 19 years old. I mean, having the opportunity. And I met a um, recruiter for the World League at that time. They would start the World League. And uh, he was like, you got you to gotta change your position. He's like, you, gotta, you, you can't be a, the big fish in a small pond. He's like, that's not going to work for you. You were lucky, though, because right. someone said that to you, right? right? And you said you had good mentors. A lot of people don't have good mentors, right? right? So we went and we went full circle. You told us your story, and now mm -hmm. you said, okay, now I had to refocus. But there's a whole lot of work that needs to go in between there. Right. You know, you have the good mentor. You have someone that's going to help you. Let's spend some time talking about the whole lot of work that has to go on because there's people who are watching the show right now and they're thinking, well, that's me. I feel hopeless or I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like overwhelmed, overwhelmed yeah. or I, I just failed. And so let's talk also about the different types of failures. You know, there's mm. that big failure that everybody sees, you know, mm -hmm. you had to tell everybody that you lost your scholarship, right? right? There's the failure of a football player who m loses the big game mm -hmm. and 
everybody knows he lost and then it's all over national news for a couple of days and mm -hmm. you know that's that that it can be daunting oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you know then there's the personal failures mm -hmm. you know and personal failures I mean I would ask you Dr. Butcher you know personal failures a failure is a failure yeah and the most important thing are the tools you have in your own little knapsack before you hit that failure mm -hmm. um, some of us aren't given very many and others are. Um, you know, not all of us have the opportunity to have a very strong adult in, the, in our lives when we're growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I was really lucky and um, had a very strong mom, very strong older sister, um, excellent role models, and you had some mm -hmm. good role models. Um, the important thing to remember is that, you know, most of our personal failures um, aren't fatal. Um, Can you say that again? Most of our personal <laughs> failures aren't fatal. Okay, say Unless that one more time because I believe this is, we were having this conversation mm -hmm. earlier and especially I think on college campus we see it rampant. I failed a test. You know, I have a son who suffers from anxiety mm -hmm. and he would call me every before a test and I'd say, what happens if you fail this test? Most of our personal failures aren't fatal. And you be, to just add on that, I do um, um, suicide prevention also, and the biggest um, population where suicide is the third leading cause of death is 10 to 25. Yeah. So you're thinking adolescence mm -hmm. up to young adulthood to mm -hmm. college age to being a young adult. That's that's the biggest group, yeah. other than uh, vets. That's that's the biggest group. And one of the problems is that's the age group where they feel the pressure the most. Right. And if we're not teaching kids how to handle pressure, um, I mean, I see I see athletes all the time who are under huge pressure from their parents to get a scholarship. Mm. And when you're talking to a 12 year old who whose parent has an agenda for them to get Twelve. a oh yeah. yes oh yes that's what it starts who has an agenda for them to get a college scholarship um it's on yeah. the one <laughs> you know what we're going to do we're going to take a little break here okay we're going to continue our conversation from bouncing back for failure from failure when bouncing back returns and uh, we'll be right back We're here with Saul Singleton and Dr. Butcher talking about overcoming failure. So we were talking about 12-year-olds, <laughs> which yes. kind of stopped me in my tracks for a minute <laughs> because mm -hmm. you, a 12-year-old, at 12 years old, they're telling kids they need to get a scholarship. Oh yes. Yeah. At 12 years old, I'm just hoping that they get they do well in school. No. At 12, we're still hoping that they, you know, I mean. 12 years old, you're watching, I know my daughter was using a squirt gun to wet her hair to style it, you know, I mean, this is what, th th they're half child, half going on teenager, mm -hmm. and um, many kids are put in a position, especially if they show talent, where their parents want them to get that scholarship. So they schedule them for a zillion different types of activities yeah. after school. They'll be on, you know, the school soccer team, and then their parents will have them on a travel team, and then they'll be getting them scouted, and sometimes those travel teams are far away. Right. Um, about 20 years ago, there was... Um, Huge business. Yeah. 
What's a huge business? Just, um, the whole just little leagues. I mean, yes. there's a TV show called Friday Night Tights. Yes. I mean, there these are that. ten-year-old yeah. kids. Yeah. That the coaches are, you know, hyping them up to hit harder, and mm -hmm. I mean, with all the protocols you have now with um, uh, helmets and concussions, and I mean, yeah. these. It's, so, and it's, it's a lot of pressure on these kids. Yeah, and there, I mean, there was a, a video that came out. Um, it was an old A and E video, um, mm -hmm. and these kids, the, there were kids on there where uh, the dad was talking about how he had his son in the school soccer league and a travel team, and the travel team specifically coached to the top half of the team, so these kids could go get college scholarships. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're 12 and 13 years old and you're being channeled into that, um, my first question is, does the kid really want it or are they pleasing mom and dad? Right. The other thing is at 12 and 13, do they really know that that's what they want? Yeah. And um, as a father, I wanted my two sons to play football and they even went out for, for the you know teams and they, they made it and I coached one, one of the teams and I remember telling them, don't do it for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, but I, as a coach I, and as a former coach, you can really tell when a kid is going to take to that sport. Yeah. Like after that first big hit, especially yeah. football. Right. And I knew both of them at that point. I'm like, okay, so we just finish the season. <laughs> mm -hmm. Just finish we, the season. Because I don't want you Let's to quit because that's, right. that's part of failure. That's if right. If you quit something, yep. and, uh, but finish the season, do do your best, and then you go on to whatever. So my, now my oldest son, he's a competition marching man. They win championships. I mean, he's doing his right. thing. And, and it's no pressure on him. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want. I just want him to do something that makes him happy. But yeah. um, as a as a young man, and I was the fourth in my family, there was a lot of undue pressure. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my parents didn't have me in little leagues because my mom was really protective, overprotective, <laughs> and that that sheltered me from a lot of stuff. So I didn't experience a lot of failure as a kid. Everything I ever tried, I succeeded at. So. When that happened to me, as a culmination of all the other things that was going on in my life, right. it was just like, how do I deal with this? And it seems like there's always that explosion because things build up. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you're putting all of your efforts onto your teams and then you start to remember, oh my gosh, I have to keep my schoolwork at a certain level or I won't mm -hmm. get this or, you know, and, and then you have the double pressure. Um, I've seen it where in gymnastics you've got, you know, 11, 12, 13 year old kids getting picked up from school, changing clothes in the car, doing their homework in the car, getting to the gym, spending four hours there, getting back home, finishing the homework, somewhere in there they need a social life mm. and they don't have that. Um, and you, you're, you're seeing kids who are um, in some cases getting resentful of what they're doing and then they act out inappropriately, mm -hmm. or they feel so guilty about not wanting to do it anymore because they know how much money mom and dad have put into mm -hmm. it, that they continue just to keep mom and dad happy. Mm -hmm. That's not healthy. Mm -hmm. um, and then you'll have kids who, uh, the kids who really want it are, I would say, probably a smaller number than the other really? that I, I mentioned. Really, I was gonna ask you that because so many of them don't really know, you know, I'm... But then, so there's a hidden fear in there. Of course. Right, the hidden fear in there is to, I don't want to fail and let, anyone, let down. anyone down. Mm -hmm. I don't want to let mom and right. dad down. And then you start having, you have to deal with that pressure, so what, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. If you're not telling anybody about that, what do you start doing, self-medicating? Yeah. Um, 
if you get injuries all the time, I've seen kids or young adults start getting hopped up on pills. And so I <laughs> want to talk a little bit about, we've been talking a lot about, you know, the fear of failing. And mm -hmm. I would love to talk about, you recognize, like you did, mm -hmm. you recognize that you need to make a change. Right. How do you take that first step? Because that's not easy. That's, right. <laughs> you're all laughing because we all know it's not easy, right? right. No, it's, it's not, not easy. And so for someone who's watching right now who is, you know, maybe considering going back to school or maybe tra right. changing their major, but they're thinking that they're not smart enough somehow, you know, they're afraid of failing, you know, in that regard. And there's so many different types of failures. So. Oh, yeah how do we what are some tips that you both would like to offer of you know how do you get back you you know you make it seem very easy well <laughs> i kind of you know went back to temple and, I, and and by the way temple is a great school and yes, saved my is. life as well <laughs> and mine well, I mean, so I we're mean, all temple. Um, coming coming to temple was for me um like to me it was a no-brainer because I, I really didn't have any other choices you know, either that or drop out and start working. And, you know, um, I wanted to continue to play football. I wanted to continue to go so to college. So it was your drive for right, football still. Right, because it was that and the fact that I, I promised my mom, like, I would get my degree, and, which I did, everyone. <laughs> and um, I, I, it was, the funny part was I was able to focus on that, but I still wasn't addressing any of the issues that I had to deal with. So when so, you came to Temple, you still weren't really dealing so with it. So it's a funny story. What did you say? It's <laughs> a funny story oh, I with that. So I, was, I, was, I walked on, I was doing really well. Um, there was a starting tight end, because um, the red shirt would go against the first team. So I, you know, I'm trying to make a name for myself. So I'm doing really well with this kid. And I remember it was, it was well into the evening. We were practicing on the practice field. And uh, he came up to me after a play. I knocked the ball down, did something. He said, you need to calm down. He pushed me. So I blacked out. Like, I just, I don't even remember what happened for the next couple of seconds. All I remember is I, when I came to, I had his helmet in my hand. And the coach was like, it took like five of us to get you off of him. And you wouldn't let go of his helmet. So we had to take his helmet off. So that scared me. <laughs> And because um, I've never lost it like that before, like I've never got that angry, but I realized that there was a, some other things going on that I needed to take care of it because that could be detrimental to what I was, or counteractive to what I was trying to do. I'm trying to earn a scholarship now. Here I get this thing that happened and the coaches looking at me like, wow, that was scary. Right. <laughs> And what you did was you prioritized. Right. So, I mean, your priority was right. was school and being on the team. Right. And all the other peripheral stuff was I what put you to the side. Yeah. you put to the side, but you also knew you had to deal with it. Right. So, the peripheral stuff became the pieces that were getting in the way of what you really wanted. Right. Right. So, in getting that together, mm -hmm. um, you were able to start, you know, right. figuring out what what you wanted, how you wanted right. to do it. Um, essentially you know you picked up those pieces right. and, and handled them in the context right. of being able to continue what you wanted right. to do which i which was getting therapy on campus yeah. you know that stuff's free yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> I love and you. um you know that stuff's free. And me and my sister we we both recognized she was going to tell me we both recognized that there was some family things going on that mm -hmm. so we wound up having family counseling yeah. with someone else off campus 
that was really helpful for me. My dad and my four sisters were involved. My mom wasn't because she was still going through her issues. And um, it was really helpful to me, especially seeing my dad there. It was really helpful for me. And um, now I could start pursuing that thing, but I was also dealing with all those underlying issues. Mm -hmm. um, I had got rid of bad relationships. I pretty much stripped everything in my life that was not conducive to me being successful. I mean, friends, mm -hmm. girlfriend, like everything. Everything that wasn't positive or helpful to me, and you you know, you know whether or not it's health, healthy for you. Um, I just decided to make that decision to do that because that wasn't more, those things weren't more important than me accomplishing, which was that overall goal was to get that scholarship and the, yeah. And without asking the question, you answered it. One of the things I say to my athletes all the time is, you don't like what's going on, you're struggling with what's going on, what are you willing to do? Right. Not what are you going to do. Cool, I like that. What it's are what are you willing, willing to, to do? do? Because if you're not willing to make the changes, if you're gonna keep saying yes but, mm. then you're gonna stay stuck. Um, you have to be willing to make those changes. You clearly wow. were willing to make those changes. Yeah, that's powerful. But this goes back to a question that I ask probably when I'm having lots of conversations about this and these and on the show, why is it that some people have that innate willingness, drive, whatever we want, whatever word we want to use, ability to overcome adversity more than others? Um, resiliency is part of human nature. It's how we're taught to use it, I think. Mm. And um, it, to me, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what athlete or, you know, what sport. It's a question of what are you willing to do to change it? And if a person isn't willing to change it, that comes from prior learning in a lot of, a lot of ways. It also comes with comfort. I mean, being a victim is like putting on your favorite bathrobe and your fuzzy bunny slippers and you just hang out. But, um, <laughs> but the I love that. Being a victim, it's like putting on your but you want, But you need, wow. to, you need to clarify victim. There, there are types of victims. I'm not talking about the person who was assaulted. I'm not talking about the person who, you know, was so completely traumatized that they need serious clinical assistance to get mm -hmm. out of that. Right. I'm talking about, you know, the person who, well, everything in my life is just awful. And, and that sort of headset where you can't, you can't move forward because there's this resistance and this, I don't really want to. And for some people, being a victim gets them the attention they're craving. Um, and I, I need to probably put bunny ears around the word victim because I don't want anyone to, who's been assaulted or who's been mm. um, mistreated badly in some way, you know, whether it's, it's spousal abuse or, or, you know, verbal abuse from a parent or anything. That's, that's a different victimhood. Right. Uh, and that's a clinical victimhood that's, that goes well past. Along the terms of what you're saying, but there's, there's, I think, like you said, there's different kinds because uh, there's the failure that um, happens to you through no fault of your own. Yes. And then there's the failure that happens through your decision-making process, through your actions or things that you've done and then it's failed. 
because mm -hmm. of your direct action. So those are two things that people right. need to understand. If, if my parents, you know, weren't very good parents, and because of that, as a result of that, I've had some things happen to mm -hmm. me in my life, mm -hmm. that's not my fault. That's right. If I was a victim of some circumstance, that's, right. that's, that's not right. my fault. But a lot of victims choose to yeah. blame themselves. So we were talking about in the car, coming over here, um, there's, everyone has some kind of failure. Mm -hmm. At some point, they all experience some kind of failure. It's whether or not how you respond. Mm -hmm. So a failure could either be in, in prison, it can imprison you, or, or it can be a motivator. Thank you. So we're going to wrap it up for today. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about failure, and I really want to thank you both for joining us. Um, there once was a man who failed at almost everything he tried. He had to quit school during seventh grade to take care of his brothers. He took dozens of odd jobs, from farmhand to motel operator to even taking care of mules. By his 40s, he was broke, and he was working at a roadside service station. At 65 years old, he had no money to his name when he started collecting Social Security. And then he founded Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he became one of the most recognized faces in the world. Life is hard, and it does throw you curveballs. Succeeding at everything is impossible, but where there is life, there is hope. As long as you find the courage to forgive your failures, learn from them, and keep trying, you can bounce back at any age and say something amazing once again, I'm Lisa Bien, and I look forward to seeing you next time on Bouncing Back. Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. God makes a way. Be honest and communicate. Honest. Your authentic self, that's yeah. so critical.